just pray that your love would reign in this place, Father, by your grace through your word, and as once again we gather together, that, Father, you would knit us together in your word, that we would see the necessity, Lord, of opening our hearts to the things that you have to say, coming to the understanding and the realization that, Lord, even as you told your apostles, blessed are you as you do these things. I pray, Father, that we would truly be people who are a doer of your word. So once again, just bless us, teach us, and instruct us for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him good morning. Good morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, and as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you, and as the ushers are doing that, happy birthday, Dee. It's Dee's birthday. I would sing, but I just said happy birthday, and if I sang, it wouldn't be very happy, so... Also, we have some visitors today. Arthur and Rebecca Accord are here. Somewhere. I saw them walk in. Stand up. No, they're around here somewhere. Maybe they're the overflow. Or maybe they left. I don't know. Oh, there she is. She's back there. How long have you been married? Two years? Almost two years. Yeah, she got married and then he stole her away from us. They're visiting from Texas. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. We're in Hebrews chapter 6. I'll be picking up at verse 4. We don't know who the author of the book of Hebrews is other than it is inspired by God. Verse 4, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Father, once again, as we open up your word, God, I pray that you would guide us in it and through it, that you would prepare us, Father, for every good work, especially as we're on the cusp of our vacation Bible school this week, God, that you would minister to us and prepare us. In Jesus' name, amen. You go ahead and be seated. Uh, can somebody turn the air on? You know, if you guys just hold your breath the whole service, then... It'll be a lot cooler. Maybe if I held my breath, it'd be a lot cooler, less hot air. Last week, we saw the third warning that is given in the book of Hebrews from the writer in Rome, writing to born-again believers who are in Israel. He tells them, don't be dull of hearing. In context, a person who is dull in hearing has heard the gospel but not much after that. And, and there's a little bit of a dilemma in a person such as this. 
and, and you've seen people like this, maybe you are a person like this, is there really any surety of salvation? Now, we're going to be looking at a section of Scripture that a lot of people have used for proof texts that you can lose your salvation, but I don't believe that somebody who is truly born again can lose their salvation. And so we're going to see what it really has to say, and there's a warning, really, within the whole paragraph. So because of his lack of hearing, this particular person has not matured in their Christian life. This is not a person that can't hear but a person who has chosen not to hear. Somebody who is dull of hearing has become lazy. They've become lazy. Just another sermon. Just another 45 minutes to sit and to endure this so I can get out of here. I made that commitment so many years ago. Well, when you made a commitment and it's been years since you've followed up on any portion of that, did you really make a commitment? It's some 37 years ago that I made a commitment to be Terry's husband. And I didn't just keep pointing back to that day. You know, hey, I married her, didn't I? I've tried that before. It doesn't work. No, I, I had to renew those vows, if you will, in my heart through my actions every day. And it was only then that I was truly a husband that, well, a husband that God had called me to be. Usually a person's hearing becomes dull through religious repetition, and that's what he referred to in the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the discussions of the elementary principles of Christ, and he's speaking of the Messiah, and the elementary principles would be the Old Testament, let us go on to perfection. Let us go on to the New Testament and the revelation of Jesus Christ through the Scriptures, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrines of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. And so, in these things that he's saying not to do, you're thinking, those are some of the basic elements of our faith. What is he talking about? Well, we defined those last week. He says, turn away from dead works, or things you will not do to be right with God. So I can stand up here, and and I did this for a portion of time in, in my Christian life. My wife and I, we took the TV out of our house. And because we've done that, we're spiritual. We're probably more spiritual than, than you are. Well, unfortunately, what happens when you take the TV back in because you know, I like to watch sports and all of this, and then you've got this great dilemma going on. But see, what we do is we'll take the things that we're not doing and we'll exalt ourselves, at least in our own mind. And so we have to be careful about that. Well, that was a cornerstone of the Jewish traditions. He says, turn away from faith towards God. That's an encouragement that's in the New Testament. Well, the idea here is it's an attempt to have a relationship with the Father apart from the Son. And Jesus says, nobody comes to the Father but through me. He says, turn away from the doctrine of baptisms. Ought we not to baptize? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about ceremonial cleansings, which the Jew had taken to an extreme and based their relationship with God on such things. Turn away from the laying on of hands. Ought we not to lay hands on one another and pray? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the transfer of the sin from the sacrifice to the sinner. Jesus Christ died on the cross once for all. 
and turned away from the arguments of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Not that those exist, but what happened is you have the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and you had those who were disciples of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees did not believe in, in, in life after death. And so there was always this huge discussion, and as we're arguing about things that have absolutely nothing to do with salvation, people aren't getting saved because we're fighting amongst one another, and we're not out preaching the gospel. And then in verse 3, we will do, or we will go on to maturity if God permits, or by the divine aid of God. So it's only by the will and the power of God that we are able to overcome that past religious training that was contrary to the scriptures, or maybe even our good ideas that are contrary to the scriptures, that God will enable us to move forward in our Christian life. And now we get to these verses that have been argued over, these verses that have been misunderstood, and again, a lot of people have attributed these as being proof texts to losing salvation. I'm going to go over it point by point, and hopefully we'll get a better understanding of them today. He says, for it is impossible for those... Now, notice, and I've got these two words underlined. In verse 3, what does he say? He says, we. And then in verse 4, he says, those. And so he's drawn a distinction here. So, we... The Apostle Paul, and very possibly it was Paul who wrote this, but it's very common when he's talking to believers, he'll he'll talk in that way. He'll, He'll speak of us and we. But when he's talking about unbelievers, or he could be talking about backsliders or immature, and that's a possibility here rather than just a flat out unbeliever, he's speaking of those. So we need to draw that distinction. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, verse 5, if they fall, or verse 6, I'm sorry, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Now, look at the advantage that the Jew had. Again, this is a writer in Rome writing to Jewish believers who were in Jerusalem at the time. The advantages that the Jew had in order to be without excuse as far as coming into Christian faith and then moving on to maturity. Myself as a Catholic, my Catholicism for me was good pre-Christianity. There was a lot of lessons to be learned, a lot of information that was given, but I never received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was not saved because I was a Catholic. I wasn't saved because I didn't come to belief in Jesus Christ. But when I heard the word of God preached verse by verse, it caused all of that previous teaching and and learning, some of it to be discounted, others of it to be embraced, and it came to life within my life. And so it says here, the first advantage towards maturity is that they were enlightened. And it was because of the oracles of God or because of the word of God. They had an intellectual perception of spiritual truth. They had what was intellectually necessary for salvation and for moving forward in their salvation. To be enlightened is to receive knowledge through teachings. And so they had these histories of teachings based upon the word of God. Now, part of the problem is, is the Jews, well, they had rendered God's word of no effect because of their traditions. And my religious past pretty much did the same thing. But it did have the word of God there. I know that if I stood before a holy God in judgment prior to my salvation, and I know this is an obvious statement, but there would have been no excuse because I had everything that was necessary. I refused it. 
So through the Old Testament teachings, there was enough Christ given in order to have faith in Jesus Christ. The second advantage towards maturity and salvation is they tasted of the heavenly gift. What's the heavenly gift? Grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the best illustration as far as what does it mean they tasted? I mean, does that mean that they received it and they never went any further and then rejected it? Does that mean they just kind of checked it out and ignored it? Well, a best illustration applicable to what we're going to be doing today is the communion meal. Now, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And now it says, eat this and drink this. And the idea here is that which they represent, I consume. And what I consume becomes part of who I am. Now, if you were here last week, I talked about creme de la creme over there and the Napoleons that they serve. That's it right there. It became part of me. And then lunch last week, and then dessert, and then the ice cream that Bill left in the refrigerator that we... Well, there were some kids there, and I had to give them some ice cream, so I didn't want them to feel left out, so I had some too. Anyway, that which I consumed became part of me. How much more so in in my belief, in our beliefs, do our beliefs become part of who we are? Well, you're, you're passing around the communion meal... And you take yours, and you're holding on to it, and you're preparing, and I talk about it, and I say, okay, let's partake of the communion meal. You partake. You eat the bread, and you drink the, bre- the, the, the juice, and it becomes part of you. But you look at the person next to you. They're not too sure. They're looking at the bread, and they kind of lick it a few times, and, and it doesn't taste all that good. I mean, it's pretty bland, and they just kind of reject it, throw it away. They look at the juice and kind of take a sip or two, but they reject it. They tasted of it but they never received it. It never became part of who they are. And and that's why we're told that he who who partakes of the communion meal eats it and drinks it, but does so in unbelief, is eating and drinking judgment to themselves. The idea is that it has this opportunity to become part of who you are, but you're rejecting it. And it's just as bad the person who just licks and sips and never really partakes of it, well, they're going to be held accountable for that as well. So stay with me as I go through this list. The third advantage towards maturity, they became partakers of the Holy Spirit. Now, this one can be very confusing, especially if you're refuting this about speaking of losing salvation. Because how do you just partake of the Holy Spirit? I mean, either the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you or doesn't dwell inside of you. And it seems like the Holy Spirit was dwelling inside of these people and now isn't dwelling inside of these people. Well, it's important to understand the three experiences of the Holy Spirit that we are able to have with him. As the born-again believer, we see this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. As a born-again believer, the moment I believed in Jesus Christ, I repented of my sinful nature, I, I submitted my life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt inside of me. It's proof of my salvation. The mindset that I have towards sin, the rejection of sin, and when I do sin, the conviction that I have in, my, in myself, that's of the Holy Spirit. When I have a heart to at least share the word, whether I do or not, but I have the heart, or I see somebody lost and it breaks my heart, that's the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me. I'm this new creation in Christ, and the Holy Spirit is directing my life according to the Word of God. That's one of the experiences. Another experience, this isn't really in order in order to make my point, but next is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's what we see in Acts chapter 2. 
Because again, using Peter as the pitcher here, Peter, if you look in the Gospels, we're always making jokes about Peter. Not really right, but I think we do so because he reflects us and our zeal to do what is right in the sight of God, but apart from the Holy Spirit. He's always doing and saying the wrong thing. He even told Christ that he wasn't going to die. Peter said, I'll die for you before I allow that to happen to you, paraphrasing. He, he thought that he could die for Christ when in actuality Christ was here to die for him. But nonetheless, we see in Acts chapter 2, something amazing happens. It's in that upper room as men and women are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter's life has changed. He stands up and he preaches the word of God. And as he preaches the word of God, you see 3,000 souls get saved. He does it again later on and 5,000 souls get saved. This man who was always saying the wrong and the foolish thing is now saying the powerful thing. Why? Because he's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That which you are under the influence of will guide you and guard you. But thirdly, and this is what is being spoken of here, this is the way, this is the only way that the Holy Spirit can be tasted of. The Holy Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit as he calls all of mankind to salvation. A lot of people have tasted of the Holy Spirit. You, if you're a born-again believer, you have consumed the Holy Spirit in this manner. And what I'm speaking of, this is in reference to John chapter 16, verses 7 through 8, when Jesus says, when I go, I'll send that helper, the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll convict the world of sin, that we'll know that we are a sinner, of righteousness, that we understand there is a God, and of judgment, that one day we're going to have to stand before that holy God and give an account of ourselves. Now, I consumed that. You consumed it if you're born again. But how many people, and, and, and the way this is presented, the Holy Spirit is presented, is through the sharing of the gospel. Now, there were times that I rejected it. I tasted, uh, yeah, you know what, all that sounds good, but it's, it's not for me right now. But there, were, there came that time when I did consume it. I, I was convicted, and I allowed God to, to, to do his perfect work within my life. And I, I don't like that term, I allowed God, but God did do that perfect will within my life, and I consumed. But there's a lot of people that just kind of, yeah, let me hear what you have to say. Yeah, okay, well, you know what? that's good for you, but I'll believe what I want to believe. And these are probably people that even thought, well, it sounds okay, let me check it out. And the Holy Spirit is convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but they're rejecting that movement of the Holy Spirit. And that's what's being spoken of here. It's not that the Holy Spirit came and dwelt within them and then left them. It's that first experience of the Holy Spirit, or that was the third one that I presented, but it's the first one that man experiences. The fourth advantage, fourth advantage towards maturity is that they tasted of the word as well. They had the word of God. Now, here, the word is being written, and so they didn't have the New Testament, but they had the Old Testament, as we saw previously. That's sufficient. That's sufficient. And, and so you've got Joshua. Joshua hears those words that he's got to dread. Moses, my servant, is dead. And it's like, uh-oh, what are we going to do now? And it says, God looked at him and says, you're the man. And that had to scare him half to death. How do I know it scared him half to death? Because four times in that first chapter of Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. The only reason you tell somebody that continually is because they're scared to death. And, and so he's scared to death. But 
he, there's a basis. Just, you know, if you came up to me and say, I'm suffering. Uh, I, I'm very frightful right now. And I say, don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. See ya. What good did I do? I've got to give you some sort of basis for that. And so God gives him a basis, and because Joshua is the very first person, very first leader of Israel that has the written word of God. And God tells him, don't veer to the left, don't go towards liberalism, don't veer to the right, don't go towards legalism, but cut that straight path in the word of God. Be strong and courageous and base it upon the word of God. And so you can be strong and you can be courageous in your Christian life as you consume God's word and you adhere to God's word. This was an advantage that they had and they didn't partake of it. And then the last advantage towards maturity is that they tasted of the powers of the age to come. Where did Jesus do his miracles? He did them amongst those people. Some of those people saw the miracles that Jesus performed. You tasted of the miracle. Again, you saw them, but you never received them as, well, in Isaiah chapter 35, because again, the word of God, the word of God is spoken, so even the Old Testament, so that they would know Christ when he had come. In Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 7, actually I'll start at verse 3. Speaking of Messiah, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For the water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water and the habitation of jackals where each lay. There shall be grass with reeds and rushes. Because of the Messiah, he is going to change and he is going to alter society and he is going to alter lives. And for all who believe that they are religiously right, he gives this fourth warning. Again, I'm going to go from four all the way to eight. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened that they have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. The warning, if they fall away or if they look elsewhere, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. How would I put the Lord Jesus Christ to open shame? Looking upon him upon the cross and rejecting him as the one who paid the price for my sin. Because we've been looking at this on Thursday night. Jesus Christ is upon the cross. We know that he had to die for sins. But the only way that Jesus Christ could die is that all of the sins of the world, some sin had to be placed upon him. He was without sin. So the wages of sin is death. So if there's no sin, there's no death. And so he, he, if he was going to die, there had to be sin placed upon him. So our sin was placed upon him. Because sin was placed upon him, he died. And so we know that my sin was placed upon him because he died. And so anybody could do that. Everybody up to that point had died for their own sins. But then, again, Thursday night, John chapter 20, we're looking at the resurrection now, that showed that he achieved victory over sin. How do I know he achieved victory over sin? Because death couldn't hold him. 
And so you got this kind of a circular thing here, looking at this in the totality of what it is. And that being the case, to put him to open shame is to say, he didn't die for my sin. Well, he died, he had to have somebody's sin, and the idea is that he had his own sin. And, and it's to shame him, it's really to blaspheme him, but nonetheless, it's to shame him to be on that cross, dying for his own sin, when that actuality was not the truth. That definitely is not the point. Verse 7, for if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to be cursed, whose end is to be burned. Now we've seen many times in the scriptures that the word of God is referred to as water and the effects of water. And I think we have a great illustration here in verses 7 through 8. What happens when you water the earth? When you water the earth, it produces its produce. It produces herbs and it produces all of that which is beneficial. Beneficial to their sights, beneficial to our senses, beneficial to our, our tastes. But what happens if the water is held back? And the idea here is if you don't adhere to the word of God, those who adhere to the word of God and see Jesus Christ for who he is, they're flourishing in their lives. But those who don't are like verse 8. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Briars and briars, that's a picture of, well, we see the crown of thorn upon the Lord's head. We see the curse back in Genesis chapter 3, that these thorns are a picture of sin. And the idea is, is without the word of God, sin is going to reign. And so he's telling them to look back. You need to look back. You need to look back at your Christian life. Am I walking in the Lord? I don't care about the day of your salvation. It's not so much, I mean, I shouldn't say it that way, but the idea is look at yourself today. Today should be a reflection of what really happened on that day that you considered to be the day of your salvation. If it was real, if it was true, it would have had a profound effect and continue to have a profound effect in your life. Is it still having that effect in your life? Keep us up in prayer this week. Pray, pray that you're here and participating We've got more kids signed up at this point than I think we've ever had. And what I mean by that, not so much from our church, we got a lot of kids signed up that don't go to this church. You know, we, we sent out mailers, we, we gave you guys flyers to put out, the parade was centered on this, our float that we had in the City of Ontario parade, and, and it seems as people are, are responding. And what that tells me is we've got a great opportunity not a great opportunity to grow our church, but their church, and to see people saved and coming to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's a great opportunity for outreach this coming week. Keep it up in prayer that God would use us in just amazing ways. But not just that, that our kids, my grandchildren are going to be here, and, and, and they've been raised up in the Word of God. But I'm praying that this week that this is just an element of their lives that causes them to grow in the Word of God as well that I see them saved, but I won't see them left behind, that I would see them grow and I would see them thrive in God's word. But you know what? The only way that that's ever going to happen, you first. You first. You ought not to expect your kids to do anything that you're not willing to do. If you want your kids to grow, you had better be growing in the word of God. If you want your kids to flourish, you had better be flourishing. If you want them to be a witness and example, you had better be witnessing and an example because we all have great responsibility here. Turn over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. 
in this parable of the sower, we see our responsibility. If you're a born-again believer here today, if you're a Christian here today, you need to see the responsibility that you have in this rich parable that the Lord has given. Verse 18, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. He's going to give an explanation of this parable that he has just given. In verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom but does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. And so this is those who hear the word of God, but they don't have understanding. And so what's our responsibility? In Romans chapter 10, how will they know without a preacher? And you know what? Y'all preachers, I'm not the only one. I'm just the guy who gets to come up here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Thursday and speak. But we're all preachers of the word of God through word, and it has to be through word, but also through action. And what's our responsibility? We've got to be giving people understanding. That's why we have small groups. It's why we do all of these peripheral ministries that we do. We've got a men's retreat coming up, uh, a couple's retreat coming up, and so many more things, women's conference next year. All of these things are coming up. The idea is to give people understanding that the time out there, you know why we serve coffee and donuts? To make a lot of money. No, we don't make, we lose money on it. But that's okay. Our bookstore, we lose money on the bookstore. The coffee bar, we lose money on the coffee bar. And, but the idea is, is so that when you're walking out here, you stop. You stop and, and, and have conversations, or what we call in our Christian lives, fellowship with one another. So, hey, did you hear what Pastor Mike said? What did you think about that? Or how does that pertain to, you know, and we'd have discussions in these things, and we'd grow in these things. It's essential because some people will slip away because they don't have understanding. Yeah, they told me about these things, and they said if I came to Christ, I have eternal life, so I came to Christ, but I never really grew after that. I never came to maturity. Verse 20, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. It has no root in himself, but endures only for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. I've seen a lot of people like that. They're all excited, and they've heard the word of God, and they have received the Lord, and all of these things. And and we've told them that if you come into the kingdom of heaven, there'll be blessings forevermore. That's not how it worked in my life. When I came into Christianity, things got hard. They got really hard, because we're not of this world. Matter of fact, we're contrary to this world. All who desire to live godly are going to suffer tribulation. And so these people, they, they, they were just told, come on in and be blessed. Well, we all come in and we are all blessed, but not the definition of blessings as the world sees it or the immature sees it because they're all excited, but then hard things enter into their lives. They're not there yet in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. All things working together for the good is all they're seeing is the hard and either thinking either God doesn't love me, it didn't work, or this is just a bunch of lies. And so we have responsibility, especially for those who are immature in their faith, to come alongside and to shore them up. When when somebody passes away, to to be there, to to give somebody a call, to to minister to them, and to to be hands-on with one another. It's a terrible wrong that I've seen that when somebody loses a dear one, people kind of pull back. You guys were always hanging out to How come you haven't talked? Well, you know what? I, I just don't know what to say. Well, you know what? I'm a pastor, and I do this all the time, and I don't know what to say. 
there, there's nothing that you can say to make it go away. You just have to be there and you just have to care. They just need to know that somebody really cares. They just want to know that somebody is there for them. Keep our dear sister Nora up in prayer. She's not doing very well. Nora Stiles, some of you know her. She's not doing very well, and she may not have too much longer. Keep her up in prayer. Give her a phone call if you're able to, or at least talk to my wife. My wife went and visited her last, uh, last Friday. We, we need to be there um, to have funeral services. And, you know, as you, as you give in this church, it goes towards that ability um, you know, we usually have food for the family afterwards to drop off a dish, even if you're not going to be there. Just those things. And really what that does is it shows people really what blessings from God is because those hard times, they're going to happen. Job tells us that man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly up, or I believe it's Job 5, verse 7. And so the hard times are going to come. How are you going to be prepared for them? Verse 22 Now he who receives seed amongst the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. So this is somebody who's just gone and gotten lost in life. They've come and gotten right with the Lord, but they've got the cares of the world. And really there's two people that are, are, are represented there. Those who are concerned about the cares of the world, this would be somebody who's struggling financially. And then there's the others, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. They're, they're so, so of the mindset of trying to scratch out a living and they, they forget that God is going to provide. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all of your needs will be added to you. Or somebody that's financially well off and concerned about keeping those finances and, and, and even building more finances and what happens is either the lack of finances or the abundance of finances, they get in the way of your relationship with the Lord. And so we've got to be there and minister to those people. We've got to be that example of those who trust Jesus. I'm not saying don't go to work, but I'm just saying we've got to keep things in proper perspective. The Bible tells us if you don't work, you don't eat. So it tells me that, yeah, we've got to work, but I've got to keep this balance, and I can't allow my spiritual life to suffer either way. In verse 23, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understand it, understands it, who, bears, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. It doesn't matter how much fruit you produce. It's all about the quality of the fruit that you produce. And again, as you have a fully functioning church, giving people an understanding, those people who, who, who enter into trials and tribulations to be there for them, people who lose their priorities to encourage them and strengthen them, that's the place of the body of Christ. That's why we don't just get saved and go home. That's why it's necessary to not, and we'll get there in Hebrews chapter 10, probably in about three years from today, but in Hebrews chapter, not really, Hebrews chapter 10, not forsaking the, the, the gathering together of the, not forsaking the gathering together of the brethren as is the habit of some, and how much more so as you see the day approaching. What day approaching? The day of hardship in your life. Because see, the lives that I pour my life into when I'm in need, they're going to be there to pour their lives into mine. That's how it works. My brethren, he's talking about restoring those who, 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 who've fallen into sins and trespasses. Consider yourself, because one day you're going to be tempted as well. And so that's why the church, you should have this feeling of family within the body of Christ. We ought not to be strangers to one another. 
Anything that you're dealing with, we've all dealt with before. There's not one person in here, not one person in here who's not a sinner. And so we ought to be free to come in and and to have these things dealt with. Our, Our lack of maturity, nobody here should be embarrassed because they're not fully mature in in, in their walk with the Lord. You should be embarrassed if you purposely have remained immature, but to come and to express our our concerns, to express our shortcomings, and to be built up in the Lord. And that's the idea behind the communion meal as we're going to prepare to partake in it, in that it's this Well, some of the most intimate times that I've had with my wife and even with my children have been around the dinner table. The dinner table, because although we've had company at times, most part, it's just us. It's just, again, that feeling of family that we're all one. And it was such a neat thing, especially now that it's passed, it was such a neat thing every night to be able to gather around that table. So the communion meal. First thing, have it be a consideration Take time to consider the cross of Christ. Take time to consider what Jesus Christ has done in your life, that you were once were lost, but you are now found, that you were once blind, but you now see, how Christ altered and changed your life. And to the magnitude of the change that occurred upon your salvation, he wants to continue that change in your life, that you would grow in the knowledge of who he is and what he is able to do. That bread is the broken body and that blood is the death. All that was necessary for your salvation. Identify with it. Even as Jesus goes through the trial of the cross, we're all, going to be need, we're all going to need to take up our crosses and follow him. Just as surely as he went through trials, we're going to go through trials. Even as Jesus was reviled and did not revile in return, when I'm reviled, I've got to be that example of Christ. When the rock was struck, water came out. Or, if you will, the word of God came out. When you're struck, what kind of words come out? When people do you wrong, what's your attitude or what's your response And again, is it Christ-like or is it flesh-like? Thirdly, communion meal, it's an assimilation, kind of what I talked about a little bit earlier, of becoming one with the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, consuming, well, that's not the worship yet. That's Aubrey's telephone or somebody over there. (laughs) It's an assimilation. it's, It's through belief I've consumed this word. And as I've consumed this word, again, it becomes part of who I am. And then, fourthly, it needs to be a celebration. Celebration of this family meal, of coming together for the glory of God. And we we celebrate this once a month so we don't fall into religious routine, to separate it enough so that when we do celebrate it, it's truly a joyful time. And then lastly, it's an education. It's an education of the reality of Jesus Christ. He was here. And he said to celebrate this meal as often as you do so, do so in remembrance of me. Do so in remembrance that he came and he died upon the cross, but he is going to come back. It's a looking back, it's a looking forward, and a celebration for this moment, for this moment today. So don't just partake of this just because it's on the calendar, it's in the bulletin, and we got it up here. Just truly consider the communion meal and all that it meant in your life, but also all that it will continue to mean as you grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But understand, the reason you grow, sure, it's for your own spiritual benefit, but who else are you able to benefit? It starts in the family, it starts in the home, and it goes through into the body of Christ and out of these doors and into our community. Let's pray. 
Father, we just thank you, God, that you have given us this opportunity, this opportunity of celebration. And I pray, Father, that we would truly embrace it, that we would come to this realization, Father, that, Lord, as we stay rooted and grounded in your word, as we don't go off to the left, as so many have done, as we don't go off to the right, as so many do, that, Father, we would stay cutting that straight line according to, Father, how you have commanded us to do so. And so, Father, you have commanded us to partake of this meal. It is a command that you've given to the church. And so, Father, we know at this moment, as we partake of this meal, we're fully obedient to what you have called us to do. And so, Father, we just thank you that you've given us this time that we're able to celebrate with one another. And so, Father, just bless our time. Just bring, Father, to remembrance the day of our salvation, the remembrance of first love, and the impact that you've had upon our lives, and and the growth that you have brought And Father, also I pray that you would give us a mindset to pray that others would be able to experience these things as well, that you would be glorified, Lord, through every aspect of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Scott's going to come up here and uh, get the communion meal ready, and then just go ahead and make two lines.